You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. You may be thinking that Jesus' ministry is about to lose steam, or maybe it's already losing steam. After all, his opponents are getting even more aggressive. His disciples thoroughly fail to understand him, and you can feel the tension in their relationship as they ask him, is he upset because we didn't bring bread? And he says, why are you still talking about the bread? Don't you understand? Don't you perceive after all this time together? And then they get off the ship, and there's a blind man, and they bring the blind man to Jesus, and Jesus spits in his face and says, be healed. And the guy can't see quite as well as he expected to, or after the last person, Jesus healed. And at this point in the gospel, as Jesus' followers are in a state of confusion and just outright disarray, you might be tempted, if you don't know the rest of the story, to think, this, this thing's coming apart. It's beginning to unravel. What's going on? That could be one explanation, but there may be another explanation. Perhaps Mark, as he was arranging the material for our benefit under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, put this story about this healing in this spot for a reason. Maybe Jesus isn't losing his touch. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus has something to teach us. And it may be helpful to think about what happens in this story in light of our own experience. Perhaps there was a time where you were faced with a problem. And initially, you didn't know what to do. Things were very fuzzy. Thought about some different options, but none of the solutions seemed very useful or effective or really like this is, it was not clear. Here's the thing to do. And so you gave it a little time. Maybe you sought some input from some counselors or friends. Maybe you slept on it a couple of nights. Sometimes that helps. And over time, as you prayed and reflected, things began to become more clear until you knew do. What if Mark wants us to see that following Jesus isn't about understanding everything the first time? What if Mark wants us to see that all of us are probably still fuzzy on some things? <laughs> what if he wants us to see that discipleship and following Jesus is more about a long-term process than it is just one moment. What if Mark wants us to see that there's always, always, always a next step? We never arrive at a place where we don't have to keep putting one foot after another in front of, to follow Jesus. What if he's trying to teach us that the most important thing Jesus wants to do is the next thing he wants to do. If we take that approach to this story, 
in the whole series of stories, things begin to become more clear. The most important thing Jesus needs to do in our lives is the next thing he wants to do in each of us. Now, the process of healing illustrates the process of discipleship. Mark is really into taking stories that kind of embody or illustrate the spiritual discipleship principles that he wants his readers, first century, 21st century, to begin to understand. Discipleship for Jesus is always about what happens next. For the disciples, for the Pharisees, whoever it is, wherever you are, if you haven't taken the first step, the first step is next, Pharisees. If you've taken a few steps, Jesus still wants you thinking about the next step, and that's where the disciples are, and that contrast is helpful. If you get past the first step, and you're always thinking backwards about the first step, and you're not paying attention to the next step, that's a dangerous place to be. And Mark wants us to be thinking about that. Discipleship is about looking forward to Jesus, not backward to the past. Now, it's interesting that this healing is focused around sight, blindness and sight. And if we take a look at passages, the stories that come before this particular healing of the blind man at Bethsaida, we can see how that language of blindness and sight opens the stories up a little bit, doesn't it? So you've got the Pharisees. These guys don't know what they can't see. They are blind to what Jesus wants to do. And the way that Mark makes that point is by the Pharisees coming and asking for a sign. And you're inclined to think, you know, the whole gospel is filled with signs from Jesus. I mean, we just read since the end of chapter 7, the beginning of chapter 8, he's cured a deaf man, he's fed 4,000 people with a few loaves of bread. A few chapters earlier, he fed 5,000, maybe plus some, with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. He's walked on water, he's cast out demons. I mean, you ask for a sign, have you not been paying attention? It's kind of like... They're, they're, they're reading the Bible with their eyes closed or something. They're not getting it. So, so they ask, hey, you know, if you're from God, you say you're from God. If you're from God, the kingdom of God, show us a sign. And you can feel this frustration in Jesus' voice, can't you? I, you know, sometimes the parts of the gospel where Jesus' frustration come through are really my favorite parts. You may think, that's kind of weird. Wouldn't you like the parts where he's not frustrated? <laughs> it, it reminds me of the humanity of Jesus. It's very easy for us to, like, evangelicals, right, orthodox Christians have spent for the last couple hundred years fighting the battle for the divinity of Jesus, the deity of Christ, against those who would try to undermine that and sort of make Jesus less than God. And that's a worthy battle to fight, and I insist on it. Jesus is fully God. In the process, I think we forgot he's also one of us. He's also fully human. And the problem with that is if we don't have a fully human Jesus to look to, then we don't have a Jesus who has any idea what it's like to be one of us. 
We don't have a Jesus who's sympathetic to our grief and our sorrow and our pain. We don't have a Jesus who knows what our joy feels like. And so when I read these passages where Jesus is just getting frustrated, like with a parent with his kids or maybe a, a colleague with coworkers, right? He's just, he's frustrated. And it comes out and he sighs, Mark says he sighs deeply in his spirit. He's not just kind of, you know, we kind of have this image of Jesus and he's just moving through the gospels like this glorious spiritual being and he's kind of six inches above everybody else and he knows everything and he gets everything right and he has power and things don't bother him and he just always has the right answer for everything and that's not the he's not just kind of gliding through it without problems is he he is a deeply real human being who knows what it's like to be a part of humanity he knows this and you can feel this in him he sighs deeply in his spirit, and he said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Forget it. For these Pharisees who've not taken the first step of following Jesus, who've not repented, he's not just going to play their game, which is a helpful reminder. Jesus is not going to play our game either. He can't be manipulated. He can't be, you can't wheel and deal with this guy. He's Lord, and that's all there is to it. And the appropriate posture isn't to kind of say, well, you know, I've heard you did some things, and that's nice. Why don't you do something for me? <laughs> the appropriate posture is repentance, surrender. The most important thing Jesus needs to do is the next thing he wants to do. For these guys, the next thing <laughs> he needs and wants to do is conditioned on their repentance. They need to humble themselves, but they're not, are they? They dig in deeply. So Jesus just turns and walks away from them. He goes, gets on the boat, goes to the other side. The disciples have been with Jesus, but they're not looking forward either, are they? They're thinking about that last miracle. And how there was all the bread laying around, and somehow, in the excitement, they forgot to get some of it. <laughs> Here they are in a boat. They just walked away from seven basketfuls of bread, and between the 13 of them, 12 and Jesus, they have one loaf. And so you can, you can imagine the blame game that's being played. Peter nudges John and goes, where's the bread? And John goes, I thought you had it. Peter says, no, it was Thaddeus. He was supposed to grab one of those baskets. Thaddeus is looking at him like, are you kidding me? Like, there are 12 of us. Somebody could have grabbed a basket. Come on. You know? And there's just, this is the thing that's happening there. And Jesus is probably still thinking about the Pharisees, because that's who he mentions next. And he warns the disciples, he says, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. And he just names his opponents. There are these guys, and there's something about their posture, their attitude, their agenda, their lives that is antagonistic to the kingdom of God. And Jesus is warning his disciples about that. Right? It is their kingdom of God agenda the Pharisees are concerned about, not surrendering to Jesus' kingdom of God agenda. And so Jesus, while they're arguing about who was supposed to grab a basket of bread, is still thinking about that, and he warns them. Beware of these, like, you just see all this altercation with these guys. Don't be like them. They have hard hearts. They are unrepentant. And they 
You ever have that experience where you're having one conversation and you overhear part of another conversation or somebody says something to you and you interpret that in light of your conversation you've just been having when it really has nothing to do with what... I see some heads nodding. We know what that feels like, don't we? And then we think, hang on, I just, just start over. Two different conversations happening here. That's what happens to these guys. Becoming aware of it, Jesus says to them, why are you talking about the bread? What is going on? Are you not... I'm just in a conflict with the Pharisees about the kingdom of God and signs from heaven, and you guys are arguing about lunch. Get with the program. Becoming aware of it, Jesus said to them, that's verse 17, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? And Don't you remember? What I did with the loaves, five loaves fed 5,000 people, and you collected 12 baskets. Seven loaves fed 4,000 people, and you collected seven baskets. Can't you see? One loaf of bread, not a problem. Don't get distracted. They are looking backwards, not forwards. And the thing Jesus said to them is pretty serious and it's easy to miss. When he says to them, don't you perceive and understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? If you know the Hebrew prophets, you've read those kinds of words before. It was a pretty common thing. Isaiah, Jeremiah, they'd come along and they'd tell idolaters. You've made some idols. Nice craftsmanship formed a God with your own hands. I see it's got some eyes. Too bad it can't see anything. Because after all, it's not alive. It's just a piece of wood or metal. Cute ears. Too bad your idol can't hear. And there's this theme that runs through the prophets, shows up in the Psalms, that idols are impotent. They have organs, but the organs don't work. They have eyes, but the eyes can't see. They have ears, but the ears can't hear anything. They've got the organs, but the organs don't do their job because they're not alive. And then they critique Israel because when they commit idolatry, they are failing to perceive and understand what God is up to. Now here's the thing. When you worship idols, things that have organs but can't, the organs don't function properly, like ears that don't see, ears that don't hear, eyes that don't see, ears that don't hear. When you give yourself to those things, you begin to become like them. Jesus says it's not just the idols who can't see, the disciples can't see. It's not just the idols who can't hear, you have ears, but you cannot hear the message I'm proclaiming. He's accusing them of idolatry. They don't get it because they're not worshiping him. They have taken on the characteristics of false gods because their agenda is driven 
by their preferences and their vision of the kingdom, and they have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus. And that's the next thing they've got to do. And right now, in this moment, in that boat, it's the most important thing. A few days before, when he was sending them out to preach the gospel, that was the most important thing. But that's over. Time before that, when he said, follow me, and they dropped their nets and took the first step and followed Jesus, that was the most important thing, but that day's over. Was it important? Yes. Are we denigrating it? No. They wouldn't be at this point if they hadn't taken the first step. But if their focus is always backwards, hey, it was cool when he did the thing with the bread with the people. Hey, let's the exorcisms. Why wow, people will show up and see that kind of stuff. And oh, you want to get to Jesus? We've got his appointment. But you know, if that's where their focus is, instead of whatever is happening in their hearts, the idolatry and the false worship and the self-oriented self-love attitudes that they have, if that's where they are, then they're missing out on the most important thing he wants to do, the next thing he wants to do. And the bad thing is they are blind to the problem. This is a thing about sin. This has come up before in Mark's gospel. It's here again. The problem with sin is it blinds us to it. The problem with sin is it blinds us to sin. Right? We're really good at self-justification. Well, it may not be appropriate for other people to run their... Like the Pharisees, that obviously they need to give up their agenda. But us disciples, we can run ours all day long. We're close to Jesus. We're, we're the inner circle. We've got privileges. The, the, the standard expectations don't apply to us. We're the leaders. They have no idea that their hearts are in exactly the same place as those Pharisees. And it means that they're about to miss out on the most important thing that Jesus wants to do in their lives. He wants them to see clearly. But they only see fuzzily. They see things, but it's like trees walking around. And so Mark gives us the story of Blind Pharisees and blind disciples, eyes that can't see. And then he tells us a story of an actual blind man who Jesus heals in stages, not because Jesus lacks the power, but because we all, them and us, need to discover that discipleship is about growth and process. Yesterday, you needed to go from blind to fuzzy. Today, you need to go from fuzzy to clear. Pharisees are blind. The disciples are fuzzy. Jesus wants to clarify things for them. Mark wants us to ask ourselves, in light of all that, where are my blind spots? Where are my blind spots? Where are the things that I'm not seeing that Jesus wants to do? Where are the things I'm missing out? What's happening in my heart? What does he want me to see that I'm not seeing? It could be different for everybody in the room. And it operates on an individual level. It operates on a church level too, doesn't it? Like collectively. What does Jesus want from us? 
What does that look like? What are we missing? When do we show up insisting on, hey, we're in control, we got the bread. <laughs> when Jesus wants to say, tell you what, I can handle bread, you just yield control. And lots of things can distract us. Same kinds of things we talk about all the time. Busyness distracts us and blinds us to what Jesus wants to do. It's very hard to be focused on Jesus if we're running from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. Perhaps one of the great blessings behind this global pandemic is a lot of people had to slow way down. Early on, I heard parents saying, wow, time with my kids, who knew? <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> right? Um, I was sad that my kids weren't going to get to play baseball this year, but you know what? You know how restful and relaxing it was to not have to rush home from the office, try to grab some dinner, and shoot off to the ball field every evening? Every evening? You know how good that was for us? It's very hard to see what Jesus wants to do in our families if we are always too busy off to the next thing. And, and, and here's the thing, right? There is cultural pressure because if you don't put your kid in music lessons and sports coaching and, and, you know, I mean, just list after list after list, there's stuff. It's all there, right? Got to give them the opportunity. You want a full childhood. And all of a sudden, you have no childhood because you spend all your time running from one thing to the next. And it hits all of us. It hits me. I mean, this, this was a thing that the Lord Jesus was showing us in our home this summer. Hey, guess what, O'Reilly? You're too busy. Boom! The world shuts down. It's good. It's really good for us. Maybe we won't fill our calendars back up so quickly. The busyness wears us out. It's very tiring. It's also even harder <laughs> to have your eyes on Jesus when you can't keep them open because you're slap-worn out from all the stuff you're doing all the time. Obligations, all of these things that we fill our lives with distract us from whatever the next thing is Jesus wants to do in us. For the disciples, their proximity to Jesus may very well have been a massive blind spot. They're the inner circle. They're there with him. Surely they've got things right. Jesus wants them to see clearly that they don't. The invitation then is to do whatever we have to do to be singly focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Things only go from fuzzy to clear when eyes are on Jesus, on his cross, his broken body and his shed blood. Think about what a single focus looks like in your life. It may be worth taking some time this afternoon to list all the things we focus on. What do I focus on? My work, my hobbies, my family. And if I were focused on Jesus, would those things be better? See, that's the spectacular thing about being singly focused on Jesus. The things that distract us from him are all of a sudden 
going to have a better experience of our presence. Because when our hearts are given to Jesus, when our eyes are on him, when we are surrendered to him, all of those things experience the good glory and joy that comes from human beings fully given to Jesus. The question is whether we see that clearly. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.